This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hey, everybody. It's Moscow here. And before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to remind you all that a great way to support the Brewing Network is by shopping on Amazon. Just go to thebrewingnetwork.com and click on the Amazon link and then do all your shopping as normal. You won't even know we're there, but Amazon gives us a little cut of everything you buy. And it goes a long way to helping keep the lights on around here. So many of you are already doing it, and for that we offer our sincere thanks. Keep it up, and if you're not doing it, a pox on you and everyone in your family. Thanks in advance. Enjoy the show. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. that time again sour hour on the brewing network I'm your host jay goodwin from the rare barrel we're at the very hot outside and cool inside brewing network studios in concord thanks for turning the ac on scott no problem you can thank uh bevo who came in and said it was what did you say 80 some 85 86 oh where are you sorry go ahead 85 Ugh, it's disgusting in the studio in the studio. And then she did oh, that yeah. thing where she, like, um, you know, rapidly tapped the temperature thing, like, down to 68. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, it doesn't blow any colder if you set it at 68 as compared to 77. It actually does. No. Because also when you're trying to cross the street right. and you press exactly. the walk button, it goes faster the more you press the button. You guys are like the same I say? stupid person. <laughs> I, I literally said the same thing when Bebo said that. Yeah, I was laughing. I see people. I was like, "Come on, don't yeah. you come in a hurry?" Right, and they're not seven years old. I think that was the last time I did it. I was yeah. like a seven or eight. At moments of peak frustration, I'll definitely still do that. <laughs> but anyway, it well, was really hot. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I have the, the perfect sour beer in my glass for the uh, hot day that it is. This is a beautiful uh, Berliner with lime. It's great hot weather beer. Wow, who who produces that beer? I think it's Goose Island or Anderson something. Valley, One of the big yeah. guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a rare barrel beer. Who nice. else? Yeah, fresh. Uh, Fresh off the Volvo. Self-distribution? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should be part of my job title, I think. But yeah, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, like I said, it's the Sour Hour. This is our 14th episode. And you know what? We're, we're actually coming up. This is crazy. We're coming up on almost a year yeah. of Sour Hour. Yep. That is kind of mind-boggling to me. But yeah, 14 episodes in. So we're a little more than than one per month. We've had some, uh, some emergency sessions and... Uh, you know, just great opportunities to kind of slide in some some good guests in there while we're uh, kind of doing our regularly scheduled thing. But it's been a lot of fun. So hopefully we can last, you know, at least one more year. As long as the rare barrel's around and your vocal cords are working, I hope this show stays on. Like I said, hopefully we can last one right. more year. <laughs> now you got like a 10-year experiment that you're trying to get done, right? That's you're what we're trying yeah, to do. you're only a couple years in. But yeah, a lot of like experiments try to get funding, and then they start the experiment, and then they run out of funding, mm-hmm. you know. So right. we're just like anyone else, really. But sure. NASA. We're trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, got a big show tonight. We have uh, Jester King Brewery on the show out of Austin, Texas. So excited for that. Yeah, just one of the absolute best breweries really in the world. I mean, you, you can't even say country because their beer is so good. that And they're, they're pretty small. I think they're under 2,000 barrels a year, which is... Really? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. You, you think of them as like this... Not, Five not, or not six like a, range. Not like a big regional brewery or anything, but just like bigger than that. I think triple that. Yeah, that would for, be my guess. For what their impact has been. So really excited to uh, hop in and uh, get the rundown on a lot of their beers and their brewing philosophy. Um, if you want to be part of that, uh, go ahead and call into the show, 888-401-BEER. Uh, you can join us in the chat. Um, you can watch us live this time as opposed to last. I don't think we had it last week because Justin nope. had the computer or something. Yep. Yeah, typical. Um, but yeah, we're up and online, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV or the mobile app. That's what I realized last time that if the live stream is down, the mobile app will play the show. Always. So, well, well not always. Yeah. A lot sometimes. of the time. One of the, some of the time, some of the time, one of the two streams are up. Exactly. Yeah. Reliability. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're listening live, you know, we love the interaction, but even if you're listening later, we love, uh, feedback. So, Go ahead and leave feedback on iTunes or whatever you subscribe to a podcast on. And, yeah, go ahead, click it, click subscribe. We really appreciate it and appreciate you kind of uh, committing to, to many shows that we're doing here. A um, couple of things I wanted to touch on off the top. Um, next Saturday, we're actually going to be going to an event at Faction Brewing Company, uh, an important event uh, called Ales for ALS, and it's a, it's a festival that Faction's putting on. Basically, everyone, every brewery that is in participation is bringing a beer that they've made with a special donated hop blend. So a couple of brewers got together, worked with the, the hop growers, and came up with a special blend just for this. It's all donated. The breweries make the beer, and then um, the proceeds are donated to um, ALS Charity. And we're going to be out at Faction, pouring with breweries like Faction Brewing Company. We'll have a dry hop sour, golden sour beer of our own, yet to be named. That'll be on tap there. Beachwood Brewing Company is going to be there. Russian River, uh, Cellar Maker. Jesus. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Nice. Um, and it's if you haven't been to Faction yet, it's just it's a beautiful place to be. You know, outside you get a nice view of the bay. So great, great place, and definitely uh, go check it out. Um, Alesforals.com will give you a lot more information. Um, Saturday, August eighth. Saturday, August 8th, $40 fee to get in. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you're thinking, oh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get out to Alameda Island and back drinking that many great beers. Well, there's a free bus going from, uh, I think it's like the West Oakland BART stop. So beautiful. Go, get on BART, get, get on the bus, come out, enjoy the day, help out a good cause, um, and then just BART happily back. It's much easier riding BART when you're drunk. <laughs> yes, it like. is. Just... That's always a good call. You don't give any thought to, like, uh, what lurks in the seat upholstery. Yeah. You can ignore the meth heads around you. All right. Speaking of pet peeves, so BART, they have two types of seats. And this, for those who don't know, this is, like, the Bay Area rapid transit. It's, like, our above ground, sometimes below ground, like, kind of subway system that goes around the Bay Area. It's from, like, 1972. And the seats, some of the seats are made of, like, hard plastic. And that's, I think that's a great idea. It's, like, you can put harsh chemical on them, scrub the whatever off that builds up throughout the day. But then most of the seats are cloth. Yeah. So 
Gross. It's really disgusting. It's like a blue, cl- yeah, cloth. It's just a and sponge. And it's old as hell. It's like, it's how, how is so it not ripped? Old, yeah. And if it did rip, you replaced it with the same crap? Yeah. What are you thinking? They, how, how much of that cloth did they buy? So Enough. that like, every time it's like peed on, they can replace it with the same cloth and it's been like in some warehouse and it's dusty and somehow that smells bad too? Yeah. God only knows. Actually, what if you cultured something from those cloths and made a beer with it? You'd Did you do to, that? You'd you, die. You, you could. You'd have to definitely do some experimentation. You know, that'd be a small-scale thing. Right. But, I mean, yeah, you can culture yeast and bacteria from anything. Many, you know, private areas, I'll just say, sure. you know, will carry those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. as long as you try it out first and it's making an alcoholic beverage that tastes good, I mean, after that, you're, you're pretty much golden. But anyway, so right Bart out there. Really awful Bart story that I'll share. I was writing it years ago. My friend... Couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from. We're both just sitting there coming back from Berkeley or whatever. No idea. Like, we're talking amongst ourselves. Like, this really stinks in here. What's going on? And we're trying to be quiet and polite because that's how we are. And I look down and my feet, I'm wearing flip-flops, are in a puddle of I don't know what that is (laughs) writhing with maggots. No. Yes. Oh, my God. It was truly the most horrific experience well, of well, my life one has to assume it had been there for a while M- obviously maggots yeah maggots oh man i was done okay oh so, on with the show so ride bart right out to ales for als right you know. ride it back at least yeah Dri- you can drive there and leave your car somewhere and then you won't notice the maggots once you've had uh cellar mm-hmm. maker and rare barrel and no it has improved quite a bit a lot of their seats are now that plastic vinyl right, like stuff which is great yeah they just need to replace them all I mean, all of right. them come on <laughs> End of tangent. But yeah, join us out there for uh, Ales for ALS. I'll be out there pouring beer. Um, really important cause. Hopefully uh, see see some of you guys out there. Um, last show, show number 13. Uh, supposed to be bad luck, but I think it went pretty well. Yeah. None of our longer shows. I mean, they're all long, but right. we had the most people and most beers on that show, I think. I mean, we had three guests, the guys from Milk the Funk. Um, we had Odd 13, and then we had Joe, the home brewer, in tasting some of his beers. And he, he stayed for the whole show. And then there's this, like, extensive tasting every segment. Yeah. So definitely, if you haven't uh, had a chance to check that out, that's up on iTunes now. So go ahead and check that out. And also, check out Milk the Funk's Facebook. Just go on Facebook and search for Milk the Funk or Facebook.com slash Milk the Funk. I think, I don't remember what they said, but they, I think they mentioned how many members they had before the show last time. I think it's gone up quite a bit since then. I mean, oh, they're, they're they've been going up. On their own for a long time, but I think you know this demo. Whoever I'm talking to right now is definitely who they want to be talking to too, and it's made up of all the same people. So you know, if you have any you know apprehension about like, oh, you know, I'm not that active on Facebook or like, I you know, I don't, I'm not a member of any groups. You'll want to be a member if you're listening to this show. You'll want to be a member of that group because it's just like someone posing a question. It's like. You know, hey, uh, I tried to do this kettle souring technique, and this is what happened. Any ideas? And then in an hour, there'll be like 30 comments. Totally. I love forums for that purpose. You yeah. get instantaneous feedback from people who know what they're talking about. You know, I've been rocking their T-shirt a lot, too. They uh, send in some swag along oh, with those beers. They sent Did us? you get one? Oh. Did you? Oh, I think. No, they oh, sent in more weird. than one, didn't they? What'd you do with those beers? Did you send it to a winner of a game or something? Those American Wildale T-shirts? Remember the gray ones? Yeah, I didn't touch those. You didn't touch them. Maybe mm. our staff took them. There, there was more than one. You didn't get one. There was a lot of talk on the last show of like, oh, you know, these, you know, these beers didn't make it in time. And like, <laughs> uh, you know, make sure you, ta- t- you know, taste them on the next show. Right. And I was kind of like, well, you know, we'll try. But Scott's going to taste them before the next <laughs> well, show. Well, you know what's Here's how I like to justify it. 
Before my time on the BN, there was 80% less beer that was sent in by anybody because nobody did any due diligence. You know, ex-producer mm-hmm. Chad, did, that just wasn't a regular thing where every single guest sent in beer and we were having beer. It was it was very uncommon is my understanding. So now everybody gets to drink 90% more beer than they did before. Sure, they're not drinking every single thing that's sent in, but they're drinking a lot more than they would if I weren't here. This you sounds see? like a pyramid scheme or something <laughs> like a Wall Street guy talking. Or you have like some import-export business in right. quotes? that's what I do. Yeah. Importer-exporter. Yeah, exactly. Moving along. Um, so yeah, go back and listen to that show. Uh, really great stuff. A lot of good information on that. And then uh, we're actually doing a show next week. Because, I don't know, I, I was out of office for a little while doing some uh, traveling. Shooting so we, a Corona commercial? Shooting a Corona commercial. So now we're back. We kind of got to do our uh, July show and then our August show kind of back-to-back. So uh, next Wednesday will be another show, and it's just going to be Q&A. So if you're listening today and you have a question, maybe we don't get to it, uh, make sure to email in your question in between now and uh, next Wednesday, and we'll try to get to it then. Although I was talking to Scott before the show, we've got, you know, I'm like, how many questions should we answer on this show? Because we're doing a Q&A show next week. And you're just like, no, no, we have we have a ton. Plenty. Because we spend too much time talking about me stealing beer and Bevo sitting in maggots on BART. Yeah. You know, and to get to the content. What was the other thing? Crossing the street. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the crosswalk. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on. Um, let's take a few questions. Yeah, yeah, let's do some questions. That's, that's all I have at the top. So uh, let's take a few <clears throat> questions and then... I have a feeling this uh, we're going to have a lot of questions for Jester King, and there's a lot of stuff I want to ask him about, so we, we will just dive right in. As, as, before we get to uh, Eric Smith's question, we'll do him first, but I, I want to ask mm-hmm. about the, uh, as long as it's in my glass, this uh, beautiful Berliner Weitz that I referenced earlier. So you said it has lime and... Lemon and lime peel. It's lemon. called Arrows of Neon. It's from a brewery in Berkeley, California called The Rare Barrel. Mm-hmm. They make only sour beer. So good. So then you'll, <laughs> you'll hopefully know how it's made. Yes. So yeah, so tell me about the... Because um, I just think the, the lime... It's just perfect. It's it's blends beautifully with this beer. So can you just talk about the the uh, fruit additions? Yeah. So in one oak barrel, we use one pound. Uh, uh, is it one pound? We may have gone a little bit higher, uh, but it's about one pound of lemon peel to a half pound of lime peel. And you know, boiling this beer down to its kind of most basic idea, it's kind of like sour beer Sprite. And you know, Sprite is a beverage that I love. LeBron James loves, everyone loves, you know? So we definitely take, you know, inspiration from other beverages to make our beers. You know, we had, I started drinking a lot of kombucha, and there's this one kombucha, like a ginger flavor. And I was like, man, this is really, like, sour and gingery and awesome. It's like, we could just totally make this. Is that where Sour Tooth Tiger came yep. from? Oh, mm-hmm. nice. So um, we definitely draw inspiration from other places. And this, you know, citrus fruits are just so nice with our base gold. So we just take our base gold um and add add in the the peel um it's nice using the peel for us sometimes instead of you know whole fruits because uh the turnaround is a little bit faster i would think it would be a lot faster isn't it oh i did see actually this is oak age though right it is all all of our beers all of them so but that's not traditional for a berliner is it no no so we we call this a berkliner because we're from berkeley Mm -hmm. instead of berlin Mm -hmm. which is where berliners are from I don't know if you knew that. Just wanted to explain. I, okay, thank you. Um, I'm writing. Hold on. Okay, yeah, I'll just, I'll just wait. Okay, uh, Berlin. Okay, go ahead. Period. <laughs> Sorry, okay. you're right. Yeah. Punctuation. Forgive me. <laughs> Period. Okay, go yeah, on. I mean, that's the you long story. You're on camera, right? Damn it, Beeve. Everyone's listening, man. No one's watching. Yeah, all with the mobile app. Yeah. Download it in the iTunes store. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean that you know it's not it's not a very complicated beer. I just love it because it's so refreshing. It's definitely one of our more refreshing beers. And when it's you know 115 degrees in Concord, it's it's the go-to beer. I bet there's a lot of people out there drinking it. I, hope I see so. some too. Uh, what what is it like? Uh, phones ringing, beer. What is it like before it goes into the barrels? Like, what does the barrels do to this beer? Not a lot. They're they're neutral oak barrels. Um, so it really is just our gold blend that, you know, it, we get a lot of kind of nice apple-like acidity, white grape acidity, all in low levels, just a nice lactic tartness. Um, and then we, we build so many of our beers off of that. It, it's just kind of like the most versatile base uh, that we've been able to create so far. So this is just an extension of that. A, a lot a lot of the beers you've had from us are just, they get they all come from that gold base and it's just a great way to let the secondary ingredients express themselves. This is not a very aggressive addition, I would say, of secondary ingredients. These meld really well with what the base is, so it's not that far from what the base beer is. But I'd say the oak character, um, like like in a lot of our beers, is pretty minimal. Could you get away with not putting this in oak? Like, have you thought about it, or is it is it just your your oak ideology that keeps you just we put everything in oak and end of discussion? Uh, you know, we've done that so far. I wouldn't say we were married to it, but it's, it's something we've done so far. And I think it's helped the fermentations that we have done. Like we haven't really done a lot of, um, like kettle souring followed by Saccharomyces fermentations that I would think would be fine in stainless steel and not seeing oak. But I think once you decide to introduce Brett and then especially bacteria in a secondary fermentation, you're going to want that slow ingress of oxygen to help out that fermentation over a long period of time. You could keep it in stainless, but it may not round out um, quite as fully. You know, you may have like a 90% good beer instead of a 98% good beer or something like that. I think I might have mentioned this before on the show that, you know, a lot of our beers are as good as they are, like 80 to 90% of their flavor, their good flavor are developed in one or two months. But then, you know, I'd say our average aging time is more around the 9, 10, 11 month mark. And all of that, the rest of those, you know, seven, eight, nine months are just to go from A to A from, plus. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Makes so sense. that can be a little frustrating, but, right. you know, once you're used to it and that's, that's kind of the commitment to the craft of sour beer that we're, that we're trying to stick to. So I, yeah, the, the reason I keep hitting the point hard is I keep thinking, oh, well, is there a way to this is always on tap at the tap room because mm-hmm. I, I just you know I, I know you're always running up against supply issues and it must sure. be tempting to think about a beer like this and maybe it could just go a month in oak or not in oak at all or yeah I mean that must cross your mind yeah for sure I've thought of uh, kind of different methods that would go a little bit faster um, and, and kettle souring would be would definitely be a part of that um, we ha- we just haven't done it yet I'd say there's there's so many things we want to do and especially this show gives me so many ideas for new things to do. But sometimes even that can be a little frustrating because it's like, all right, well, I already have like the next year mapped out. And how do I like, how do I do this in between now and then? And, you know, that is why it is the decades long experiment. That's what we call it. It's because, you know, we have to practice patience pretty much at all times, but there are a lot of good ideas out there and there's no shortage because we get to hear them all on the show. So 
All right, here uh, is Eric Smith's question at long last. Uh, He says, uh, hey, guys, the show keeps better and better. Thanks for uh, the great resource. Uh, I have a sour going now that is roughly the malt bill of a Saison fermented with Y-East 3724, pitched dregs of several great commercial beers from Jolly Pumpkin and Hill Farmstead, etc. Beer has an excellent sourness and complexity that I would love to retain. How do I go about keeping this magic blend alive for future uses? Can I simply rack uh, a new wort directly onto it? Are there other things I should do to clean it up? I don't know what Yeast 3724 oh, is. I'm assuming that's a Saccharomyces strain. Yeah, it's not. Well, first off, it sounds like you're off to a good start. Belgian Saison. Okay, cool. I, I haven't used it, but I'm sure that expresses itself pretty aggressively. Um, yeah, it's tough. I think you can definitely just harvest the slurry from this and repitch on top of it. And I, I would do that. I would see how that goes and it and keep doing that until you feel like, hey, you know, this is getting too aggressively sour and i'm losing the saison character and then i'll just brew a saison next to it so um you can always you know just re-inoculate with saison yeast as that starts to go away you know are there going to be any adverse effects of you know this saccharomyces strain increasingly being repitched in an environment that's not conducive to it there could be and you're you know you'll probably have to monitor for that as well but i think overall i you know We've talked about this with a few brewers on the show before. Autolysis doesn't seem to be a big issue in sour beer, even though it makes sense that it should be. Maybe we can ask the the Jester King guys about that because, you know, I think they're doing a lot of mixed fermentation and how they're managing their culture. But for us, you know, we're not seeing a lot of autolysis off flavors at all. So what I would do is just go ahead and, Keep that culture going, repitch on top of it with uh, a fresh batch. Um, and then if you feel like the the wild yeast and bacteria are being overpowered and the Saison's going away, just brew a side batch of Saison and, and do some blending. Um, if, you know, I know that's easy for me to say. Uh, <laughs> you may, you may have, uh, you may not have the space for that, but um, maybe some split batches or something like that could be the, the solution to that. Or you could start doing alternatively like, Something like a, a Solera method where, you know, you have this beer. Let's say you take 90% of it out and you package that. 10% is left, and then you just brew a Saison, just straight Saison, this Belgian Saison strain, uh, and then fill it back up, and then just see how that develops over time. And then just adjust your percentage as you feel like, oh, hey, this 10% thing, that was good, but it wasn't as sour as the last one. Okay, now I'm going to leave 20% of that behind and then filled the 80% up with Belgian Saison. So you got some options, but just pat yourself on the back because you've made a good sour beer. That's, you know, that's the hard part. So this, the challenge of keeping it going is, uh, is the fun thing. So, All right, here's another one from uh, Tom Delaney. Uh, he's writing in from Ireland. He says, hey, guys, I'm a uh, uh, home brewer and a pro brewer at Galway Bay Brewery. Uh, we had them on the session back in August, nice. Galway Bay. Chris, we had on. So, uh, Tom, thanks for writing. And he said, I have a question about dry hopping sour beers. Uh, we've done a few lacto kettle sours on the commercial brew kit here. They've all been dry hopped at various grams per liter, <laughs> with the highest being, uh, do you know, uh, conversion off the top of your head? Does no. It, okay, so I'm not even going to Does he have it. pounds per oak barrel? That's what I prefer. <laughs> uh, I, guess I see hectoliters and I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's all... 
Whatever they've done, he said it's been a total waste of hops, which is pretty frustrating. No hop aroma can be detected at all. And we've used fruity hops like Amarillo and Y.E.T., to name a few. He says his wort pH is usually between 3 and 3.4 after souring and before boiling. Sack ferment is being done by Y.E.T. Saison yeast for the most part, but uh, we've also done a lacto-sour with uh, U.S. 05. What dry hop rates have you used or heard others use to get uh, good levels of hop aromas into your sour beer? So I know Egregious, for example, has a good hop aroma. So what are you doing? Yeah, our baseline is five pounds of hops per oak barrel, which is a 59-gallon oak barrel. So, you know, when, whenever you're listening to this back, you can kind of do the conversion. I don't, I, I don't have a computer in front of me to do that, and I'm not smart enough to do it. So, um, And we get really good hop aroma or, you know, what I perceive as good hop aroma in there. Um, but you know, that's a pretty aggressive hopping rate. Um, we've done even lower. We've done probably about a third of that, um, in some of our beers and that's definitely been less aggressive, um, more background, but it's still there. Um, so I'm not sure if any of the pH factors are, are coming into play there. I mean, you are doing it, uh, that our pH is in the same range. You're doing it after the, the kettle souring and the primary fermentation. So, um, and, you know, there's nothing... Unless it's like really soon after the primary fermentation, those hot flavors getting blown off, which I doubt that they are. Um, I, I, you know, I would just say add more hops. Wow. Well, it's it's funny. I just smile because I never thought as, as an all sour right. brewer I would be giving that advice. Rare like, advice. Oh, add my, add more hops. Well, I wonder, does it work? Um, maybe do you experience this in egregious? Where I remember you describing putting in ginger to sour through tiger, and yeah. how you put in some and it's kind of really nothing, and some and kind of nothing, and then boom, you just hit the sweet spot and it exploded. So I wonder if it works like that with hops, where unless you kind of hit that critical point, you're going to have almost nothing, almost nothing, and then you hit the right amount, and boom, there's your hop character. Did you experience that at all? I'd say no, because the ones the the beer that we hopped at like a third of that rate, we we still got a subtle, it seemed, it seemed proportional, like hmm. uh, amounts to flavors that we got. But, you know, I, I basically just worked off of uh, like double IPA hopping rates, dry hopping rates and just use those because that's basically what we were going for like a big hop aromatic and a sour beer do they make ipas and double ipas there yeah i believe yeah they have a whole lineup um i remember drinking a bunch of different beers from i'm I'm trying to remember if we had beer from them or not i think we did Mm -hmm. but i can't quite recall you weren't doing your job you didn't get it (laughs) well i might have just drank them all before i brought them in you know yeah uh whatever you're doing out there um Galway Bay. Give it another try and try doing what Jay's suggesting and using like a double IPA dry hopping schedule. Lots and lots of traps. And if there's still, if it's still really understated, maybe there's some other weird issue. Can you think of anything else that might contribute to suppressing hop flavor like that? Not really. I'm not, you know, like, or aroma. You know, like I've never claimed to be a hop expert. So I don't, you know, I'm, I guess we're lucky that the hoppy beers that we do do kind of work because if I had to troubleshoot, anything on that i i wouldn't be i wouldn't know anything about it my first call would be probably to seller maker i'd be like hey guys <laughs> like what's going on with this like i'm not getting any hop aroma out of this but maybe there is a factor with ph that i just you know don't really know about hasn't come up for us um we do dry hop in in an oak barrel that may not be you know you you guys probably don't do that you probably do that in a tank that i don't i can't imagine how that would be a factor but you know, that, that, that's just something else that is a little bit different for us. 
Okay. Well, there you go, uh, Tom. Uh, email the guys at SellerMaker. Yeah. <laughs> you can ask them. No, but seriously, keep us updated and let us know because that seems like a, kind of an odd problem. Yeah, and but if it, you are hopping at, at that rate, then there's yeah, something else going on. Just let us know and then, you know, maybe we can take it from there. Thanks for the question. That question and all the questions on tonight's show brought to you by sourbeerblog.com. You can follow along with Dr. Lambic's exploits on Sour Beer Blog. There's some great stuff on there. I've always recommended this, but the fast souring with lactobacillus article is just awesome. Especially, you know, we were just talking about kettle souring. That's it's kind of like the hot topic in uh, in sour beer right now. It's how a lot of people are getting into it for the first time. Um, and we're actually going to have, I think we're going to have Dr. Lamick on next week's show. Next show. Yeah, we've been confirmed. Uh, yep. And I, I have not drank drop one of the beer he sent in. I don't believe that. <laughs> Believe it, baby. Sitting in the cold box. Two, two through 99, you dropped and you drank in the... Exactly. The I was trying to beat you on a technicality, but you caught me. Yeah, we're going to try those beers. I've been sitting on them for a while. Uh, let's do uh, one more question before we go to break cool. from Troy in Orange County. Hey, what's up, Troy? Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Are you in Orange County, Florida or California? Uh, California. I figured. I just always have to ask. What's um, going on, well, First man? off, uh, first-time caller, long-time yes, listener. Yes, thank you. Love you, baby. Thank you. <laughs> um, so... I guess you guys kind of might already answered my question. Uh, the first caller uh, talked about a um, little bit about, or the first email talked about, um, you guys talked about autolysis and how Jay wasn't experiencing that. Um, I've got a blend from the East Bay, our friend Nick and Pelletieri. I've got the melange blend, and I wanted to do a sour with that, but I was worried about leaving it because uh, it has Saccharomyces in it. It also has Brett and uh, bacteria in it, so I, I didn't know if I would have to be racking that after primary or something like that. What do you guys think? I was just uh, talking to Nick last night, and he said, no one should ever keep my strains and repitch. They should always just reorder. That's the way to get. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think, I think the best advice is just to give it a shot, especially if you're liking the flavors. And then you always have the option to brew a Saccharomyces beer to blend it down, you know, if it's getting too crazy or if there's some aromatic that you're losing with it. Um, and, you know, not not to plug East Bay 2R, but they have a lot of cool um, Brett blends and Saccharomyces strains to just uh, to brew that other batch with. So I'm sure, if, and he Nick has always been really good about uh, responding to emails. So, you know, you can, oh, yeah, you can great. yeah, you can definitely get his take on it. He'd be happy to answer, but my, that, that'd be my my advice. Well, I actually, I haven't actually pitched it yet. Is what my concern is if uh, I pitch it into the first beer I want to use it in, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if the Saccharomyces in there would go through some sort of autolysis if I were to leave that for a, you know, however many months I age it. I don't think it would. Um, you know, one one thing this also reminds me of uh, is uh, you know our first episode with uh, Mike Tonsmeyer. He his preferred method, and for people who didn't don't know him or didn't listen to that first episode. He wrote, literally wrote the book on American sour beers. That's mm-hmm. a great place to start. Um, definitely listen back to that episode if you're just tuning in now. Um, but his preferred method is to do his mixed culture of Brett Lactopedio with Saccharomyces from day one. And he just, I'm pretty sure he just repitches on top of that. So okay. you're kind of covered in my eyes because you're not getting, a, you're not probably going to get a lot of autolysis, especially if it's your first, second, third repitch. Maybe if you get into more advanced generations, you'll start to see it a little bit more. But you can, you can kind of always just cover yourself by saying, all right, if I'm not liking the character, then I can adjust with a certain Saccharomyces strain. Okay. And per your recommendations, I've been building that culture actually for a while now in a 
one gallon fermenter just pouring some off feeding it and it's gotten some pretty assertive sourness going right now so awesome that's the way to go in a beer if you guys have time can i ask another question yeah sure. one more okay um uh jay when you are blending uh sour beers at the rare barrel um, how long do you keep that before you uh, bottle it or package it, I guess? Are you waiting for some sort of stability, uh, something like that, in the in the gravity of the beers? That's a good question. We were just talking about this at the Rare Barrel today that, you know, sometimes when we're talking about blends, we're talking about two separate batches of beers that have gone through two different fermentations, and they're currently at two different gravities, two different pHs. Um, and that's a beer we'll actually do a lot of pre-blending on so we may like let's say we want to add fruit to this batch um or let's say we're ready to put it into a bottle i I'll, we'll actually go to the trouble of blending it into a tank and then putting it back into barrels for further aging and monitoring i'll just give you an example we have one batch right now that has two separate fermentations um and they're about one degree play-doh apart and they both taste great and we want to blend them all together to be a, a release, but we don't want to blend them together and then put them right into a bottle because there are parts in what I worry about is there's parts in the fermentation that is one degree Plato lower that could ferment out sugars in the, the part of the blend that's one degree Plato higher that will kind of, that'll all happen on the bottle basically and create extra carbonation that we don't add on purpose with our priming sugar. So what we're, you know, it is a lot of work, but what we'll probably have to end up doing is blending the beer all together and then putting it back into their oak barrels and then just monitor that gravity over time. You know, if you're a home brewer, you know, you may not be taking as extensive readings, but I think that's still a good practice, you know, get the blend, put it together, give it some time to mellow out and finish fermenting before you put it into a bottle. Just keep keep in mind that Beers with very different gravities and different fermentations, they that that can be a definite um, danger spot for exploding bottles. If you just blend them, even if they taste good, blend them and put them right in the bottles. So I, I, that's what I'd watch out for on that. Thanks for calling, Troy. All right, we got a lot. We got to a lot of questions there. Yeah, so you're sure there's still enough for the Q and A show? I'm <laughs> positive. Okay. Oh man, there's cool. a huge huge backlog. Yeah, we'll we'll get to more even uh, too. Dare, right. I dare say, depending on how it goes with Jester King. Yeah, I th- and I think there's some questions for Jester King. So let's uh, get to a break so we can get to them. Uh, this is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Your brewing water can be a mystery. If it's good enough to drink, it's good enough to brew with, right? We all know to perfect certain styles of beer, proper water chemistry is vital. But running water tests can be complicated and expensive, but not anymore. Industrial Test Systems is proud to introduce the new Smart Brew Water Testing Kits, incorporating the exact iDip Smart Photometer System. The only photometer on the market that harnesses the power of the smartphone and runs water tests without you doing a pile of calculations. The iDip features two-way Bluetooth communication with the brain of the system, which is its own multilingual app. This allows limitless possibilities, including lab accuracy, free upgrades, test customization, over 35 available, mobile sharing, and more. You can keep a detailed history of your results. Email your water report to other brewers or share it on social media. Visit smartbrewkit.com now and learn more about the iDip photometer and all the tests it can do for you. 
one-time Ninkasi Award winner and Grandmaster Judge Gordon Strong invites you on a guided journey of what's new in the world of homebrewing. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles, and contemporary techniques available now from Brewers Publications. Gordon brings you specific advice and sensory profiles for as-brewed, award-winning beers with delicious variations to get your creative juices flowing. This is more than just a book of recipes. It sets brewers on the path to discovering what's new in the world of homebrewing. AHA director Gary Glass says if you want to enter competitions or just learn more about styles that you might not have experience with, this book is going to help you tremendously. By emulating what Gordon does, you're going to make better beer. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques by Gordon Strong. Available right now from BrewersPublications.com and find brewing retailers near you. heard about White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast. Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast for homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Labs yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, FlexCell technology, and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of Pure Pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com This is Nick and Pelletieri with the East Bay, and you're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network with Jay Goodwin. Speak of the devil, there he is. There he is, Nick from the East Bay, sounding good. I'm, I'm jealous of his radio voice. He may not even have him back because it's just so good. Uh, push eject, you're fired. Uh, Nick, you're hired. You're doing our voiceover. <laughs> Awesome. Welcome back, guys. This is the Sour Hour. Um, before we jump into the highly anticipated Jester King segment, quick plug for one of our sponsors, the Wine and Hop Shop. Uh, visit them at wineandhopshop.com. they got over 100 varieties of malts and hops. Do they have 100 yeast yet? Yeah. Oh, well, back. per your directive. Yeah, yeah. of course. 100 malts, hops, and types of yeast. Now, brand new at Wine and Hop Shop. Uh, beer and wine kits. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours, and BN listeners are going to get flat $8 shipping rate on all orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken out after checkout. Visit them, Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. All right. Mm. Mm. What, are you, what, are you, ah. what are you drinking over there? Well, Jay, I'm glad you asked. Drinking uh, atrial rubicite from Jester King, which... Uh, forgive me, could be my favorite sour beer on the planet right now. Uh, you're more than forgiven. It's it's definitely one of the best beers in the world. And let's bring in uh, the makers of this beer. We've got uh, head brewer Garrett Crowell and the barrel program head Adrian Ballou from Jester King Brewery in Austin, Texas. Are you guys there? Yeah. Awesome. Are they on video? Uh, no, but I just I want to oh, uh, describe to Jay. I wanted you guys to hear. So describe what you're seeing, you're looking at there, Jay. I'm showing him a picture. It is uh, Scott's computer screen, and 
It says the hop grenade. Okay. What do you see in the picture? There are. A, it's a sour beer, raspberry beer flight. Yes. And there are many good beers there. There's no rare barrel that made the cut, obviously. <laughs> but uh, Frambois for a cure, Bread of Rosé, uh, Rosé de Gambrinus. Uh, looks like Bottleworks 12 from the brewery. And then Atrial Rupacite. Yeah. And uh, this was a, a post, a Twitter post that I did. We did this uh, New Year's Day, a few friends of mine. And uh, Atrial was the, the runaway favorite in the room. Amongst the world-class competition, you know, minus the rare barrel, of course. But I mean, could you could you pick a, a more stellar lineup against which to judge this raspberry sour beer? No, I it was didn't. it was the runaway favorite in the room. Uh, indescribably good. That's saying a lot considering uh, the competition. But uh, let's just dive right in, guys. How how do you uh, how has this beer gotten so crazy? And how did the last uh, you guys just did a release of this? How did that go? It, the release went pretty good. It was a, a much smaller amount than we've made of that beer in the past, um, besides the very first release. So, you know, there were complaints uh, regarding smaller bottle counts, what have you. But ultimately, quality is the main goal and not quantity. So as far as the the beer, um, you know, we first made that beer in, that would have been, Early, yeah, the beginning of 2013, um, we had some barrels of Das Überkind, which is kind of our base blonde, sour, barrel-aged beer that we use for uh, many, many uses. But um, we got these raspberries and put them directly in the barrel, and there were eight or ten oak barrels of that? I think there were ten oak barrels. It was actually my very first week at Jester King that we (laughs) made the first batch of atrial. And we just, um, we got IQF raspberries, like we always do, uh, from Washington. And uh, what we did differently the first time was, like Garrett said, we just crammed them straight into barrels. Uh, Every batch since the first one, we've done in stainless. Okay. And what what was the reasoning for that? Uh, With the first batch... We, I think we had two barrels out of that like 10 barrel run that got some acetic character. And I, I really felt like it was because the fruit was pushed to the top and formed a cap and there was a little bit of headspace in those barrels. And um, I think that was the main reasoning. And we moved over to stainless. Now we do all of our fruit either in stainless or fooders so that we can continuously push that fruit cap down during fermentation uh, just to avoid acetobacter kind of growing on that top cap of um, fruit that continues to push up during fermentation. Awesome. And just taking a quick step back, that just reminded me, I want to get a little bit into your guys' uh, respective backgrounds, how you got to your current positions. And uh, Adrian, we can start with you and start with that. That sounds like a lot of wine technique and terminology can you tell everyone uh where how you got to jester king yeah i um i actually started out at the university of texas in austin studying chemistry and i was really unhappy with with that degree so um i sort of on a whim moved up to walla walla washington where my sister was going to school and got a harvest position at a winery up there and that's where i completely fell in love with winemaking and decided that that's what i wanted to to study and pursue professionally so um i went to uc davis and i got my degree in viticulture and enology 
And right after school, I went and worked to harvest in Burgundy. And I was planning on harvest hopping for a while, but um, I took all of Charlie Bamforth's spring classes at Davis, and he was a really good mentor of mine and always encouraged me to at least give brewing a chance. So instead of going to do the Southern Hemisphere Harvest, I contacted Jester King about doing a six-month apprenticeship sort of um, just during that time period with the intention of going up to Oregon afterwards and working up there. But that was about two and a half years ago, and I'm still at Jester King, and it's it's been a really awesome opportunity. Did you finish your chemistry degree? No, I, I did two years at UT, and then I transferred to Davis and did my last two years there. Okay, because I'm wondering, and you said you didn't like the degree, I'm wondering if you actually, you know, went, went all the way. Because, I mean, if you if you realize halfway through it, how hard is it to stick it out for two more years in such an intensive major? It seems impossible. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a really easy transfer into the V&E program at Davis because so many of the first two years of coursework in that program are chemistry classes and the exact same classes that you'd take if you were doing a chemistry degree. So it ended up being a really easy transition for me. Their program there is pretty heavily science-based. So, Plus, you just wanted to go somewhere with a better football team. Right, of course. That's, that's <laughs> right. really what was going on. What else are you going to do on a Friday night? Yeah. Football go, games. go Aggies football. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Garrett, you're the head brewer now at uh, Jester King. How did you get to that position? Well, um, I emailed the brewery uh, about a few months after they started um, about volunteership opportunities, and it took them, uh, it was about a year before I got a response. That response was the beginning of like a volunteer-based packaging program. Um, so I started coming out to the brewery pretty much every every day they were packaging and helping them bottle beer, and I was taking home brews out and sharing them and kind of sharing like my philosophy on fermentation I really like I absolutely no scientific background in brewing whatsoever, just playing with uh with bottle dregs and mostly things from Phantom and Orval, uh, making some weird Saison beers um heavily inspired by Phantom. But uh um volunteered for about six months at the brewery and then one day they asked me to to come in a little early and I didn't know that was an interview. I actually showed up wearing uh, flip-flops and a, a shirt with a bunch of holes in it, anticipating getting beer splashed on me all day. Um, so here I am sitting in this interview, really nervous that I'm like totally unprepared. But anyway, I got the job, and uh, that was that was about three years ago. I've been at the brewery for about three years now. And uh, just when the position became available, I was promoted to head brewer and been having fun ever since. I do love that uh, that feeling that it happens very rarely, but when you you send off something and you've you've long since wrote it off in your mind, and all of a sudden there comes something into your inbox or your phone rings, and wow, I had forgot I even applied for that, or I yeah. You know. And it truthfully, the timing was really serendipitous too, because at the time I had sent the email, um, it would have been it would not have been practical for me to be volunteering as much as I had uh, when that opportunity became available. So it just it was just seamless. It worked out perfect. What got you to send that email in the first place? Were you homebrewing at the time? I was, yeah. Um, this, I believe I sent the email in, it was either late, it was uh, late 2010 or early 2011 when I sent the email. And uh, 
yeah, I was I was homebrewing pretty much exclusively like mixed culture fermentation beers. And I just I remember reading uh, kind of like the documentation of Jester King opening um, and their pursuit of different types of fermentation and just thinking, this is, I live in Austin. These guys are doing something really great that really no one else in the country is. I think I need to work for them. So that's kind of how it, that was the the catalyst there. Did you work with uh, with barrels as a home brewer? No, I, I never did. Uh, my older brother is a winemaker, though. Um, so, I, I mean, my, I've kind of grown up around wine and, and knowing a bit about it and having access to information about barrels, et cetera. But really Adrian's kind of the expert on that. I just put weird yeast and beer or work. Rather. <laughs> so Adrian, you want to actually, all of you guys, you want to help uh, Stacy homebrewer Stacy answer a question. He's working with barrels on a home scale so we can uh, pick the brain of uh, some of the uh, prime barrel company. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Stacy, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, nothing. Uh, I just had a question for you guys. Shoot. Hey, uh, I was wondering about bunging barrels. Um, so if you transfer into into a barrel out of a fermenter, like uh, how soon are you, you bunging that with a hard bung? Um, or are you putting an airlock on it at first or maybe a pressure relief bung? Um, I'm a little worried about pressure buildup in there, or is there maybe a time, case, slash gravity you're wanting to see before you put a hard bung in that barrel? Um, we don't actually use hard bungs on any of our barrels. The type of bung that we use is, um, I don't know the proper term for it, but it it looks like a hard bung, except for, uh, it has claws at the bottom. So if it pops out, it like catches on the barrel so that it doesn't completely pop off the barrel. If that makes sense. Jay, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we use those a lot at the brewery. Um, yeah, and actually, I've been looking into switching to some bungs that Jay recommended to me, which I'm sure he could go into more detail on. But basically, I, I don't like using hard bungs because there is a buildup of, of pressure. And um, I mean, we keep our barrel room at 64, so it's a, like a long, slow fermentation. And so there's continuously some pressure buildup. And if if you put a bung that gives the ability to relieve pressure without blowing out of the barrel, I think that's the best option. And these are these are readily available for homebrewers. Yeah, I think anybody. So. I think yeah. now more than ever, there've been a lot of options on on the bung front, if you will. Um, we use something called Firm Right. They're based locally out of San Rafael, and what they have is kind of a two piece bung, and there are modified versions of this, but this one. Um, sort of has the hard the hard bung part that you can really uh jam in there and then the second part kind of um sits in the middle of the, of one of the grooves and then is kind of like lightly draped over all of the openings so that um nothing can get in but it's very easy for gas or even sometimes a fruit refermentation or just a vigorous regular refermentation to kind of leak out the top um the the problem that I saw with some of the the bungs that Adrian's talking about are that, you know, if there is a vigorous refermentation, there's just going to be a bunch of gunk that builds up, and that can almost form its own type of hard bung where pressure will build up, and then it'll just fly out. I've been, I was walking around the barrel the barrel room at the brewery, and I would just hear thump thump 
dum, 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 dum. And I'm like, oh, no. and there's, you know, 1600 oak barrels there. And I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing for the next hour. So definitely yeah, a lot of, a lot of bung options out there. Yeah. The one I just remembered, I think the one with the claw that I think we source it from a company called Alaska, but, uh, yeah, I agree with Jay. I mean, you definitely really have to keep an eye on barrel uh, bungs popping off barrels. That's something that we do, um, definitely weekly, if not daily, just walking around the barrel room, making sure there aren't barrels on, or bungs on the floor. Yeah. We walk through our barrel room We call it a barrel hunt just so it's more, maybe more glamorous, but we're, we're looking for leaks, bungs pop, popped off. Um, how often are you doing that? Once a week. Just so that if we do find a leak somewhere, we can kind of be confident, okay, this leak has been going on for less than a week. You know, mm-hmm. maybe the beer is salvageable. Um, but, you know, if we're not checking that often and then we find a beer with like a huge leak, you know, that could be letting in something that is dormant now but could be a problem later. So it's it's, it's something you definitely want to keep an eye on. But Thanks for calling, Stacy. by the way. So would you do it more often if uh, I know you say that it's pretty stable temperature in there, but mm-hmm. say it were, you know, the hottest day of the year and you just checked two days ago, but would you change your, your schedule pursuant to uh, environment? Yeah, we, we, we actually, we will rack beer, what, the way we do fruit fermentations, we'll rack beer out of the oak barrel, put fruit in the barrel, and then rack beer back. And we actually, we went away from bunging those barrels at all to just covering them with foil and um, staple gunning the foil on top. So they're just letting CO2 and even if in a vigorous sense, uh, liquid coming all the way out, but none of the fruit really comes out, just so that there'd be no chance of a bung popping off at all. So, But I don't know, how do you, how do you guys handle when you have like a really vigorous re-fermentation in a barrel at Jester King? Um, well, I guess an example of that would be every winter when we do our cool ship or when we use our cool ship, um, to make spontaneously fermented beer, we, all of that is barrel fermented and it's actually a pretty vigorous fermentation after the first couple days. And we just leave, uh, we'll leave the bung off during that time. And we get a lot of crowds and that spills over the barrels and, um, it's a little sticky and messy, but, uh, usually after about a week when that fermentation has sort of died down, that's when we'll put a bung in. Gotcha. Maybe you could walk us through your kind of spontaneous program a little bit. How does it start? I know you mentioned the cool ship. Um, you know, how, how do you, you know, manage the barrels as it go, as they go? What are the, the characters of your spontaneous beers? How long do they take until packaging? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, we, in, in Texas, it's, you know, it's a very warm state, but believe it or not, it does get cold enough to, to make, you know, spontaneously fermented beer kind of in line with what the Belgians do with, you know, the temperatures they look for. Um, so January, February is like kind of the only two months we can successfully, well, the only months we've tried to, to make spontaneously fermented beer in so far. Um, we watch the weather and if we have nights that are below 45 degrees Fahrenheit, we'll knock out into our cool ship, which we place in our barrel room with the doors open to the outside. So any breeze that's blowing through, what have you brings yeast in from the outside, but really it's just a lot of dense cultures of yeast and bacteria that have built up over time by spilling beer on the floor and not cleaning it up or spraying it on the wall when filling barrels, what have you. Um, so we brew 
And we've deviated from this a bit just through experimentation, but mostly what we do is do a turbid mash, um, just kind of a traditional turbid mash and with uh, 60% pale malt or pilsner and 40% raw wheat. We use uh, Texas wheat that's grown about, about 20 miles, 20 or 30 miles from the brewery in a town called Hutto, followed by a four-hour boil with some really old aged hops. We have a, there's a barn on the property that our brewery is located on that we, we've been buying up, buying up old hops whenever they're available or if breweries in town have some old hops they're not using, we'll just take them up there. Uh, put them in burlap sacks and just let them sit. And it gets hot. It gets like, I mean, today, I think the high in Austin was 102 degrees Fahrenheit, and it gets probably warmer than that inside this barn. So they're sitting, you know, and all of the elements really getting very cheesy up there. Um, so we'll use those. Uh, we've experimented with kind of different different rates of hopping. The first, the very first year we did spontaneous fermentation, um, it was kind of on the higher end. I think we did about one and a half to two pounds per barrel and it ended up pretty intensely bitter uh we sent a sample off to a lab and i think if i'm correct we came in at like 75 or 80 ibus with wow. even even using age tops like really bitter but um we only brewed twice that year and that's going to be blended out second year we experiment experimented with much lower hopping rates with greater success, honestly, I think we went a little too low on the second year. I think our average is probably a half pound per gallon of aged hops. And, like, it's hard to quantify what we're getting from that because it's different hops. Um, there are a lot of different factors, different temperatures overnight, different evaporation rates that we're getting. And our, uh, when, you're, when you're doing the fermentation, like you're talking about end product of spontaneous beers, do you use it as a blending component? Are all your beers spontaneous? Do you use mixed fermentation for some that are inoculated where where do we see that in the final product everything so far uh, all this when you know when we mentioned spontaneous fermentation that stuff that's gone you know hasn't been sent through heat exchanger just straight from the kettle into a cool ship um followed by overnight cooling and then we'll sit we'll transfer it to a tank and and recirculate it to, to homogenize whatever yeast or bacteria settled on top and then transfer it to barrels uh for fermentation so no yeast or anything is added whatsoever um, and we haven't released any, any of it so far. This is this last winter was our third year of spontaneous, uh, fermentation brewing, what have you. And this winter starting in December, we'll begin blending, um, kind of taking cue and inspiration from like proper goose. though we're going to certainly pay respects to Belgium and not call it Lambic or goose. Um, just very heavily inspired by that process and, Given that they've been carrying the torch of that type of fermentation, uh, you know, for the last several hundred years, they're kind of the last ones doing it. And that's kind of what we have to go by to see whether this works. And that's kind of what we're pursuing now. And in the future, you know, I imagine we'll deviate and stray from what's considered like a traditional process. For instance, this last year, uh, we put grapefruit zest and grapefruit juice in the cool ship one night and we... And the, there's a hot basket that we strain through when we knock out. We put like 30 pounds of sriracha ace in there one night and just kind of like fun things like that. But as far as like fermentation profile, um, it's certainly different than our, you know, our deliberate pitch mixed culture program here, though there are some similarities. Um, there are pretty drastic differences as well for the first, I would say, six months or so of fermentation. Like it's pretty... 
I mean, if you think about it, you know, spontaneous fermentation, you're doing absolutely everything the books tell you not to do with brewing. We're not adding yeast, which is like, that's just crazy in and of itself. <laughs> We're not running any oxygen. We're letting it cool over the course of about 12 hours exposed to the air. We're boiling the hell out of it. We're adding really old, nasty hops. But we're getting really fun fermentation character. Um, but yeah, for the first like six months, um, it's really corny, stinky, DMS, what have you. But uh, over time, like it really starts to develop into its own. And that's been the most fun for us is seeing the progress like from start to finish. You know, like we're all we were all homebrewers at one point in time, and like that first time you added hops to work, and you're like, oh man, that's what hops really smell like in a beer. Or this is what the yeast component of a beer tastes like, you know, having smelled the yeast before it was in the beer. Like now drinking, like Cantillon or like Dreyfontein or whatever, proper Lambic, like having brewed spontaneously fermented beer kind of to their recipe or to their process. It's like home brewing for the first time all over again. We're like, oh, so what we thought was Britannomyces character is actually just really old, nasty hops coming out in the beer later on. Or it's So it's, it's a lot of fun uh, seeing that. Yeah, that's really cool. You guys are definitely staying to a traditional model, and that's a lot of hard work. I mean, the turbine mashing, the long boils, and yeah, yeah I hadn't really realized that you guys hadn't released any of the spontaneous beer yet. So it's, boy, it's going to be a real shit show in Austin when that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, here, here's a question uh, about your house strain. This came in from the email from Topher. Uh, he said, uh, I wanted to uh, ask uh, how they developed their house strain. From what I understand... Uh, they fermented a bunch of little test batches of wort with different flora from their land. Is he right about that? Kind of. Really, it was kind of only one test batch. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a series of, like, different blends of things. And this, this is kind of – this was in uh, April of 2013. That, well, really, it was earlier on, but that's when it was, like, really made some headway. But I, be, I had two kind of like base foundation yeasts that I wanted to use in addition to indigenous microflora, and that was um, White Labs 565 and Y-Yeast 3711. And 3711 is it, or BSI-11 was a yeast that we were using um, as our like clean yeast before ever doing mixed culture fermentation of the brewery. So it was already in-house. But having those are two Saccharomyces strains that you know we were all very familiar with and liked very much and thought it would be a great foundation to add things upon. So everything we you know we cultured some yeast from some wildflowers that grew on the property and then some other sources and um, all of that kind of went into one one gallon jug and varying ratios um, and then that eventually became our house culture just through stepping up at the brewery. Well, he goes on to to ask how you evaluated that mini batch to decide uh, what you would add to the blend and prop up or, and what you would throw out that you might have, that, you know, would have contributed negatively. Really? I mean, the, the things like the individual components were also fermented on their own, isolated to see what character, you know, they gave on their own to see how that came out when combined with other yeast and bacteria. Um, and the individual things were all okay, but really like, the the blend of everything was great and we just decided to go ahead and proceed with um we did a 15 barrel batch which is like half batch for us of a beer we make called noble king and that was kind of like the the guinea pig for the mixed culture um so we stepped we i mean i had this culture in a, a one gallon jug then i you know 
propagated or really just dump that one-gallon jug into a five-gallon carboy of wort and let that ferment out and then kind of spread that to four or five different carboys until we had quite a bit of yeast sediment or yeast and bacteria sediment at the bottom of those carboys. And then we did this 15-barrel batch that had a, I think it was about a one-and-a-half-barrel starter that we added those carboys to let go for 12 hours and then transferred. And that was like, that was the step up process from, you know, homebrew scale to commercial scale. And then we just harvested the yeast, harvested the yeast from the cone of that, that 15 barrel batch and then moved on to the other batches. And the, like the character from that alone was just promising enough to be like, all right, let's just go with it. And that's just kind of what we did. All right. Wow. Great show. Too much to get to. We got more. Yeah, we had to we had to stop it right in the middle and uh, split it into a later later episode. So lest it become the sour nine hours yet again. Sour life, as Bebo <laughs> in the future is about to call it. I don't think she said that yet. That's a bumper sticker. Yeah, Sa- hashtag sour life, like yes. thug life, right? Some cool maybe sour gang Jay symbol. with a bandana around the bottom half of his face. Yeah, as much as my um, as my face as I can cover, that's what I'm going for. That's why I have a beard. But uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in for the first part of this show. And there's so much more to get to with Jester Gang. So make sure you stay tuned and uh, look out for part two of this episode coming out soon. Thanks for joining us on the Sour Hour.